Uh, then there are the remarkable and memorable meals because of what happens in them. I can remember uh, the fancy dress Thanksgiving dinner with some friends of mine where a very beautiful lady very much turned my head. We're subsequently married, so that's okay. Um, I remember going on holiday with friends uh, to Switzerland uh, to one of their granny's amazing chalet and we had a fondue and it went a little bit wrong and I nearly set fire to this nice wooden chalet and I still have the scar on my finger to prove it. Or more recently, the excitement uh, made dinner memorable of finding a cooked caterpillar in the broccoli. <laughs> but if you rewind 2,000 years back uh, to a small patch of the Middle East, if you wanted a memorable uh, meal, you needed to invite one person, didn't you? You need to invite Jesus. And, and in Luke's gospel, Luke's account of Jesus' life, it's, it's full of meals. It's been said that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to, at, or coming away from a meal. And each of them, it seems, is memorable. And so, you know, if we kind of think back, there's, there's the dinner at Levi, the tax collector's house, where Jesus famously says, it's not the healthy, you need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Or, or the time when uh, Jesus' feet are washed with the tears and the perfume of, uh, of a woman with a dodgy background. As Jesus, uh, with thousands of people in front of him, he grabs a couple of rolls of bread and two fish and feeds them all with leftovers to spare. Or when, when Jesus goes to Zacchaeus in the tree and says, I'm coming to your house. Or there's when Jesus took bread with his disciples, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, saying, take, this is my body, given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Or at the end of Luke's uh, gospel, when you've got the two uh, disciples walking the road to Emmaus, and, and this traveler who they don't recognize joins them, and they, they pause for the evening takes bread, breaks it, and their eyes are open to meet the, the risen Jesus. Memorable meals. Particularly in Luke 14, do we have a very memorable meal? We have a miracle. We have a very uncomfortable silence. There's a challenge to the way things are normally done. There's an awkward attempt at changing the conversation, and there's a parable that hits home. So why does, Je why does Jesus make this meal so memorable? Is it just what Jesus did and he's got a reputation to keep up? Or is it more than that? I wonder if it's tied to what we heard two weeks ago when we were in the end of Luke 13. And we heard Jesus say, make every effort to enter the narrow door. And then how Jesus talks about longing to gather people like a mother hen longs to gather her chicks under her wings. See, Jesus longs for and it's, it's, it's looking for everyone to have a place at God's table, to have a place in God's kingdom, to have a place in God's new world, as we were hearing last week in Revelation 21, that, that, that new world where everything's made new, where there are no state funerals, where there are no funerals, because there is no death. A time is coming when everything will be remade, when the world as we experience it will be, will be turned upside down, because it's being turned the right way up. When, in the words of verse 11 of our reading, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, those who humble themselves will be exalted. And it seems to me that there's a kind of thread that weaves its way through this uh, memorable meal in Luke 14. And that that is, that there is a humility of heart that comes from being part of God's kingdom. There's a humility of heart that comes from being in part of God's kingdom. And I just want to see uh, three ways that this can look like. Uh, three, ways, uh, uh, three ways humility of heart looks like. 
that flow out from being part of God's kingdom. The first one is that it's a humility of heart that looks like rejoicing in glimpses of God's kingdom. A humility of heart that looks like it rejoices in glimpses of God's kingdom. Now, we've probably been around the accounts of Jesus' life long enough to know that when we see various things happening at the start of a story, we kind of know what's going to happen. It's the Sabbath. The Pharisees are there. And there's an ill person. You kind of know the storyline, don't you? Jesus is going to heal them. And the Pharisees are going to get grumpy. So Jesus asks, verse 3, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remain silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed them healed him and sent him on his way. Jesus heals the man. It's wonderful, staggering. And yet it's not what Luke focuses on. Heals the man, man sent away. Luke focuses on the reaction Jesus gets, the response of the Pharisees, the experts of the law. Humility of heart rejoices in glimpses of the God's kingdom. And yet what, what response does Jesus get? Verse 4, silence. Verse 6, they've got nothing to say. The Pharisees, the experts of the law, in their focus on what could and couldn't happen on the Sabbath, what could and couldn't be done each Saturday, they missed the purpose of the Sabbath. This time set apart for rest, a gift from God for God's people to enjoy. Enjoying God's creation, delighting in God's rescue. It was a day that was absolutely full of promise, that that one day this glimpse would be the reality for God's people, true rest, full restoration in a remade world brought about by God's true king. Even even without realizing the Pharisees and the experts of the law knew this and were living it out because Jesus says, you know, if one of your children or one of your cattle falls into a well on a Sabbath, do you wait till Monday to get them out? Of course you don't. You rescue, you restore. What the Sabbath is all about. If you like, Jesus healing this man was was like when you were allowed to lick the mixing bowl when the cake's in the oven. It's a little taster of what's to come. Later on in our reading, um, somebody trying to avoid the awkwardness and change the tack of the conversation says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And they're spot on. There is no greater blessing than being part of God's kingdom. Yet at this meal table, there are some who are missing the taster of the kingdom that they're getting from the king they're eating with. The one who's on his way to Jerusalem. The one who's about to give his life up to open the door to the kingdom to people like you and people like me. A humble heart rejoices in glimpses of God's kingdom because you you realize you're part of God's kingdom through Jesus and you want to rejoice in him. So instead of traditions and the way we do things and formalities, actually our rejoicing comes in stories of God at work, stories of people encountering Jesus and their lives being changed, stories of restoration, of finding life, stories of answered prayer, rejoicing in lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit that his fruit being lived out, his gifts being used. There's a humility of heart that comes from being part of God's kingdom. It rejoices in glimpses of that kingdom. And second of all, it's a humility of heart that is willing to take the lowest place. The Pharisees, the experts of the law, are silent. But yet, verse 7, there's something that grabs Jesus' attention. 
we read, he notices how the guests pick the places of honor at the table. It's as if Jesus has gone to dinner with a brood of chickens. If I, if I were to get a load of chickens and land them in here, that would be quite fun, wouldn't it? Um, you would soon know which chicken is most important. The one that pecks the others the hardest. That's how they decide their order of importance. The chicken that pecks the hardest is number one. So where we get the word phrase pecking order from. Chickens peck each other to work out that, where their social standing is. And, and at this meal, okay, they're not pecking at each other. But I bet there were some elbows to get the prime seats. I bet there was some pushing and shoving. I bet there were some embarrassing moments when somebody important arrived a bit late and uh, walked up to somebody and went, um, I think you're sitting in my seat? And they have to do the walk of shame to find an empty chair. Jesus, Jesus has such a better way. Verse 10, when you're invited, take the lowest place. So when your host comes, he will say, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of the other guests. See, being part of the kingdom means instead of putting others down to raise ourselves up, we willingly put ourselves down to lift others up. There's a humility of heart that's willing to take the lowest place. There's been a lot of stories, I guess, this week that we'll have heard, that we've shared um, about the life of the queen. And, and one that particularly stood out to me, and probably because I've had these verses rattling around uh, in my mind, is, is the stories of when prime ministers and their families were invited in the summer to go and stay at Balmoral with the queen. Uh, and it goes something like this. You sit down to, to dinner, and you finish dinner, and then the queen, uh, we're told, asks, are you finished? She stacks the plates and does the washing up. Margaret Thatcher, apparently, was so appalled the queen didn't have any um, rubber gloves that next time she bought her some. But you get the point, don't you? There is, in, in our workplaces, in, in our homes, in the life of the church, there is no job or task that's beneath any of us. And when we're doing it, it's not something that needs publicizing. It's okay if nobody notices you're doing it. And likewise, our, our attention is not just to be drawn to people we like or who are like us, or who we want to like us, or the people we'd like to be like. Every person we meet, whether they're royalty living in a palace, or the homeless sleeping in a shop doorway, is someone made in the image of God. And it's, it's part of the reason why our vision for the hub, community, center, and cafe is for it to be a place of welcome and community of, of help and of hope for all, no matter who they are. There's a humility of heart that's willing to take the lowest, part, uh, lowest place, and it comes from recognizing that we're part of God's kingdom, not, not, not because I'm important, certainly not because I'm impressive, purely because I've been invited by Jesus. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who, who made himself nothing, Becoming one of us and dying the criminal's death on the cross. And this wonderful thing about Jesus is he, he both brings us right down and at the same time raises us up. Jesus says, you are far less important, far less impressive than you think. And yet at the same time, the love God has for you and the honor with which God wants, the honor God wants to show you far bigger than we can begin to get our heads around. 
There's a humility of heart that comes from being part of God's kingdom. It rejoices in glimpses of the kingdom. It's willing to take the lowest place. And thirdly, it's a humility of heart that serves without condition. Now, I think there's a risk with the, uh, the English translations uh, of the Bible that we have in front of us that verse 12 makes um, Jesus sound like he would fit right in in an episode of Downton Abbey. When you give a luncheon or dinner, I think that's posh for lunch. When you give lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. Does what Jesus say here mean that we've got to rethink our plans for Sunday dinner, or the, the meal we've invited friends and family to later in the week? It might, actually, possibly. But I don't think Jesus is saying, well, if you follow me, what you need to do is totally ignore your friends. You need to cut your family off. I don't think that's kind of Jesus' main point here. I think Jesus is saying, don't make the hospitality that you show and what you give, don't make it dependent on what you get back from people. Rather, serve without condition. Now, you remember the, the man at the start of this story, the ill man, the man we're told who has an abnormal swelling of his body. Ask yourself the question, why is he there? Why is he there? Has he followed Jesus to this meal? Or had the Pharisees invited him along? Were they, were they expecting this ill man to return the favor by having them all over for food next week? I doubt it. But yet, he's not shown true hospitality, is he? He's there because the Pharisees wanted something from him. They wanted to use him to catch Jesus out. This man was there not because of genuine hospitality, but because he was being used. Not so that he could be served, but so he could serve their purposes. Now, all of us, whether it's from positions that we hold or the personalities that we have, often have some kind of power. But we use it not to get what we want from others. We use it to give what we have to serve others. And I think Jesus sets us quite a challenge uh, for us with his words here. A challenge about opening our homes, opening our tables up to one another, especially those we don't know so well. Maybe those of a different life stage, those who we've not shared lots of life experience with. I praise God that as a church community, I think we do welcoming people for the first time, and for the first few times, quite well. People have said to me, this is a really friendly church. I felt really welcome. I think... Our challenge comes a little bit later to help people move from being made to feel welcome to feeling like they belong and they're plugged in and they're part of things. We're to be a church where our lives and our homes and our tables are open to the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. For people to not just be welcomed, but to find they belong. For people to be served without condition. Jesus has served each of us without condition so that we can be part of God's kingdom. And right now, until the moment Jesus returns, that, that invitation is still open. In the words of, of Jesus, there's still room. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. There's a humility of heart that comes from being part of God's kingdom. It's a humility of heart that, that is a gift from the Holy Spirit, helping each of us to rejoice 
in God's kingdom, when we get glimpses of it and the king, helps us to be willing to take the lowest place and enables us to serve without condition. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Jesus you have welcomed us into your kingdom. A a promise of a time to come where where everything will be remade. Where the exalted will be humbled and the humble will be raised. And thank you that in Jesus we find one who was excited and willing to open the door of the kingdom to people like us. Who was willing to take the lowest place dying on the criminal's cross for us, to serve us without condition. And so as those who, many of us know that experience of being part of your kingdom now, would you shape us to be living that out now? Would you help us to rejoice in those glimpses of your kingdom? Would you help us to be willing to take the lowest place? Would you help us to serve others without condition? Would it be a mark of your spirit in each of our lives? Amen.